I hope you guys are ready to get a stickity stinkity rinkity dinkity funky on today's episode number 27 of the Archerpreneur Now podcast. I am your host, Heath Armstrong, and today I've got John and Joe of the world's heaviest jam band. That's right, a jam band with a new twist, bringing the funk, bringing the difference, setting themselves apart from everybody else. They've got full-time jobs, they follow their passions, they create this high-energy on the side, we're going to get into why they do this, their ups and downs and struggles with trying to make money as a musician, and so much more right now on The Archerpreneur Now. For all the show notes, artsynow.com forward slash 27. Here we go. Come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Here we go now. Who wants to get funky? Who wants to get a little creative out there? Which one of you want to get a little bit artsy now? Well then get on with your bad self. Ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, my guests today are going to be in bulk and they're bringing a new genre of music to the industry. When it comes to jamming down, they're wiping out the heavy hitters, taking Atlantic City by storm, the newest twist on the jam band industry, the world's heaviest Jam Band! John, Joe, you are the entrepreneurs now. What is going on? That is the greatest intro ever. <laughs> um, I feel like I should be getting into a cage match right now with somebody. <laughs> and there should be nothing stopping you from doing that because we should all do crazy things every single day. Uh, and cage matches are definitely included. <laughs> Uh, uh, if I had access to those resources, I would probably partake. I don't, I don't know how I would come out, but uh, it'd be fun. You know, at least I could say I did it. So John is the bass and vocal player, or bass player and vocals for the world's heaviest jam band, and Joe uh, is a saxophone player. And they are in a band together with another guy named George, who's on the guitar. Am I correct? And Sean that, that, Eldridge with the drums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. And so they have this kind of first-of-a-kind sound, uh, a heavy jam band, and, and I've listened to some of the music, and it's pretty it's pretty entertaining. I mean, it, it's really good stuff, and it's a little different, which I love. And I have to ask, I don't know where this you know idea came from, and I love people who take initiative to create new pads and make themselves stand out from the crowd uh, because essentially you all are changing the world, and I love world changers. And you're taking a stab at that, and and changing the jam band scene a little bit, adding a new twist. So how did all this come about? Well, uh, initially, uh, it was kind of a that John would bring up. He, he would he'd come up, in col- we went to college together, and he'd come up with these random ideas. And one of them was he wanted to start a group called the World's Heaviest Jam Bands. And uh, he would just be like, and you're going to be in it, and this guy's going to be in it. And <laughs> so it kind of started out like that. And then um, 
after we got out of school, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm not doing anything. Why, why don't we start that group? Yeah, I think it's um, because Joe and I both went to Rowan University where uh, we both studied music education and jazz yeah. studies. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I come from a sort of a heavy metal, death metal background sort of thing. And uh, it was just sort of interesting because while we were there, and actually it was a lot of the lab band stuff. Which I guess I will. We'll yeah, it's a whole other thing. But um, you know, you sort of listening to these different sounds. It's like, man, that would be kind of cool if uh, this had like a death metal guitar or some uh, like blast beat drums or <laughs> I don't know. You're just listening to these sounds and going, yeah, that could that, that could work. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, actually, I guess what ended up happening was a lot of it was um, uh, Dennis De Blasio, who played with uh, Maynard Ferguson. Um, does this thing called the lab band. And the whole thing with that is it's uh, a jazz ensemble that has different, different sounds in it. So all of a sudden it'll be uh, a jazz group with a bassoon or a jazz group with an oboe or a jazz group with a French horn or a harp or I'm trying to, th- what else? Or what, whatever. Yeah. Or whatever wants to play. And, you know, so that, I think that, that had, had a lot of actual influence on, uh, on sort of doing this project. It's funny how these, these kind of jokes and these little ideas that we have can actually evolve into something when you think about it more and more and you keep bringing them up. And like, you know what, maybe we should just go ahead and do this. Uh, and I think the beauty about music is it's so innovative. I mean, if you, if you have talented musicians and you put them together, uh, you can create this, this wonderful sound. And if you have your own sound, it's even better, and you obviously do. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I guess, originality is something that uh, we're sort of going for. But I guess personal music fulfillment? I I mean, you just kind of, you get together, like you said, you have some good musicians, and you kind of just let whatever's going to happen, happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think taking the idea of of a four-musician backgrounds and just kind of putting them in a room and seeing what happens, which is really kind of how, I guess, the, the sound, if you will, end up kind of developing. Yeah. Okay, with you two, what are your particular backgrounds with music? I know Joe plays the sax, and John, you're you're on the bass. Uh, what kind of music did you grow up loving and playing? You know, what kind of influences do you have? Um, well, I guess for me, growing up as a kid, uh, my my parents uh, they listened to a lot of oldies, so a lot of music from the 1930s and 40s, and uh, come to think of that, that kind of came around full circle i i ended up getting into listening to jazz music and really loving it and the the music that came from that period i really think is some of the best thing ever um i i also listened to a lot of classic rock i couldn't really talk about it or name it in detail but that's something else my parents kind of listened to as well mm-hmm. so probably yeah 30s 40s stuff and then let's see growing up i guess my Biggest influence would have been Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Um, just because I remember my dad was watching a a paper, I guess it was a pay-per-view special or something weird like that. I, I saw him like finger tapping when I was like 10 and I said, oh, I want to do that. Um, so that, that sort of got me hooked on the guitar. So that's what sort of drove me down that path. Yeah. So did you ever go through one of those big hair stages? <laughs> did I ever go through one of those big hair stages? You kind of did. Um, it would have been more rather than eighties, big hair would have been more like Norwegian death metal. sort of Um, actually there's a pretty funny story where the first day I went to Rowan university and, and Joe was there, I had a, I mean, a giant, giant, giant beard and, uh, long hair. And I realized if I was going to do the music ed thing, I probably should get a haircut. Um, so like two weeks in, like, you know, I, I got completely, 
clean cut, and no yeah. and no I one didn't recognized him. him. He was just <laughs> I'm like, who is this guy? Nobody recognized me. I had professors that went, "Why are you in this class?" <laughs> so, I mean, I know it's in all seriousness. The pirate Steve story. Yeah, you know, we're in in a class. All of a sudden, some kid just like light bulb goes off and goes, "Holy <laughs> crap!" That's uh, that is the guy that had the long hair. Um, but no, I never. It was it would have been more of a sort of a death metal prog metal. Dream theater sort of uh, yeah. kind of thing, as opposed to uh, you know Rat or Warrant. <laughs> yeah, my my stepfather is actually a just unbelievable metal guitar player, and I saw some pictures of him back in the day, and he had that that kind of same hair you were talking about, and it was it was fantastic. I was like, why did you ever cut it off? Because uh, I wanted to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, away from the music that. Uh, you know, you kind of grew up with influences from. What are you listening to right now? Let's see. Um, mostly, what I listen to is classical guitar music. Um, a lot of John Williams, David Russell, uh, Martin Dila. Um, you know, all the really, really good contemporary classical guitar players. Um, and then, of course, a lot of jazz. Um, so Joe Pass, Tal Farlow, all those guys. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I listen to on a you know on a regular basis. Um, I don't know. You, you start talking about what you're listening to now. Um, something. Well, uh, one, one of the other groups that I I play with, uh, they're a rockabilly group. So I'm kind of nice. listening to artists who are more along that rockabilly electro swing. Um, hopefully, I pronounced it correctly. Uh, Caro Emerald was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, I've on the radio since uh, where I where I'm living. I don't get a lot of good stations. Um, I kind of hit scan, and uh, one group I did find was uh, Lake Street Dive, who've been uh, really growing in popularity recently. I really dig their stuff. Have you ever heard of Goober? And I guess the Peas? I can uh, Sorry, what was that? You ever heard of Goober and the Peas? Uh, I have not. It's kind I of a. I don't know if they had more than a couple albums, but Jack White did an album with them, and it's rockabilly, and it's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. You can check it out. Definitely. So, John, what were you going to say, man? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think if there's anything, because I, re- I realize it, it sounds kind of... No, I understand completely. Like, well, all I listen to is jazz and classical. <laughs> um, Do you have any particular artists that you enjoy uh, or that you look up to, kind of idolize? Artists that I idolize. Um, I really like the guitar playing of Matthias Eklund, mm-hmm. uh, a freak kitchen, um, and uh, Bumblefoot, Ron Thal, uh, you know, sh- like shred guys that kind of take it to a weird Frank Zappa ish kind of level. Um, Frank Zappa would be, you know, uh, certainly an influence. Um, and then every, it's, you know, and that's, we, we even talk about this with um you know trying to get to a younger fan base because i mean it's really i mean everything i i love was stuff i listened to when i was 16 mm-hmm. you know i could i could still put on you know a uh, a dream theater cd and 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 just you know getting the same sort of uh, feeling i did when i was 16 but um yeah kind of it and then i mean you know certain classical guitarists but i mean eventually you you sort of get in that community um and there's really no one that at least i still look up to because I don't know, you kind of, you kind of get into that community and it's, you know, less idolizing and more peer to peer kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It makes total sense, man. 
within the music industry, you know, what are some of your favorite pieces of equipment? You know, what what kind of instruments are you playing? What brands to kind of bring value and let our listeners know exactly what you're doing? Uh, do you have any favorite items in particular that you like getting out and messing around with? Um, well, about a year ago, the the saxophone I'm currently using uh, it's from company Andreas Eastman, uh, which was a string manufacturer, but they've more recently gotten into uh, saxophone. Um, so I, I was really pleased with their product, their Fifty uh, Second Street model uh, tenor sax. Um, as far as mouthpieces go, um, I'm using an auto link. That's, that's a pretty classic choice. Um, in terms of bass equipment, not originally being a bass player, it's kind of interesting because, uh, I'm using a, a relatively inexpensive PV, uh, I believe BXP millennium, which I ended up purchasing like 10 years ago. It's always nice to have a bass in the house. Um, so originally when George got on the project, George uh, is a more than competent guitarist. Um, and then I basically just changed out the, the pickups, and I, I like the way it plays. Um, so I think it, it's – what did I get for the pickups? Uh, you think I would know this. Uh, EMG, uh, just EMG, J-Bass pickups active. So, I mean – I'm playing out of uh, a pretty pretty cheap bass, and uh, currently live I play out of a Roland keyboard amp. Um, for some reason, my, my my rig is just things I found in my house and then said, okay, I'm going to use this. At some point, I might upgrade. Yeah, that's awesome, though. The band takes us. Yeah. So are there any uh, pieces of equipment away from your instruments that you think if if you had to remove them from the scene that you probably wouldn't be able to go forward without? Definitely something to record with. That's it's not very specific, but um, I, I do a lot of when I practice. I'll play stuff. I'll record it as I play it, and I'll listen back to it. Mm. Um, which is such a simple thing, but really, that's so important in in developing your sound and developing your style. Because um, yeah. it, it's kind of like when you talk, you don't hear your voice. So it's kind of like when you have the instrument up on you and especially with mine, since I have the vibrations in my head going, uh, um, and I'm not playing, I'm not hearing myself through an amp. I'm hearing myself like as if I were talking. So what the way I sound when I listen to myself on a recording is a lot different than what I'm hearing. And it is interesting with you, especially having to get used to mic placement. Yeah. Mic placement's another interesting thing for me. I'm actually, uh, I, I was, obviously not an electric musician um, trying to get into looking at different microphones because um, a lot of the places I play, it, it would really benefit me to have a whole wireless setup. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a whole new world that I'm getting into now. And uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of any, I don't know. I can't think of anything. For that <laughs> per- persistence is definitely key though. When you brought up the point about uh, playing and listening back to yourself to get it right every single time and just doing it consistently uh, over and over again. I think that repetition really, really can advance any kind of talent if you really put your mind to it. And it's super important for people to hear that. Uh, And sometimes you start off and you're not so good, but you just got to keep rolling with it uh, and get out of your comfort zone a little bit and you'll get better and, and get a little funky and take some risks and move forward. And, uh, 
it, it's an amazing thing to see the progress you can make if you really truly take baby steps every single day. And you look back over a year uh, or even a month, and and you can see these little increments and how much you've progressed since then. It's powerful, man. Yeah, I mean, um, definitely when it comes to uh, hearing yourself and, and and recording yourself, it's um, I don't have anything intelligent to say. Well, um, one of my friends, he's a classical pianist. Uh, his name's Dan McGarry, and um, reason he loves music so much is that you can watch yourself get better mm. um which is it's a little in a way it's a long term watching yourself get better but even if you work real real hard on a day-to-day basis you'd be like oh well yesterday i couldn't play this passage or i couldn't play this scale or i couldn't solo over this song but today i can it's so a, it's like a real life rpg <laughs> kind yeah. of You've got a plus two saxophone. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It, music is awesome because you can watch yourself get better. Uh, and I'll have to post that on the show notes as well on the internet with all this other great, fantastic stuff. And as, as always, the show notes will be on artsynow.com. Uh, so if you find value with these shows or you just enjoy them, I want to thank everybody for listening first. And uh, please do us a huge favor and, and get on iTunes and leave a review and and to get all this good information, uh, John and Joe are slapping our way. Please visit artsynow.com. And so into the most important point here, you know, wh- which one of you smells the worst? Uh, let's sort of a smell. Well, Joe forgot his deodorant <laughs> this morning. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not bad. But he's, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty close to him right now. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not you. I'm, I'm just kidding. I <laughs> so I, it's probably the answer would be me. Yeah. So as a group together, uh, <laughs> sorry, I had I had to do that sometimes. It's it's funny to me. I don't care if it's funny to anybody else. It's funny to me. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty much our, our band's motto. I don't care if it's <laughs> yeah, funny yeah. to anyone else. It's funny to me. Uh, you know, as a band together, what do you think your all's ultimate long term goal is? I know that you're striving to to find success, and we love hearing uh, insight from people that are in the thick of it right now, trying to start their journey and, and make a create the life that they really want. Uh, but where do you all see yourself in the future? Good question. And actually we were, we were talking about this uh, last night where I don't even know where the, the long-term goal of this group is. Um, I, well, I think we had, we had even said if we could get it to the point where, I mean, we're just playing five, six shows a year. Um, Big ones, you know, but like all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, we're playing here and simply, you know, 50 to a hundred people show up. We'd be pretty happy if, you know, so we're not sort of, as we said before, dinking and diming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, I just want to see what it could be. Um, As far as rehearsals go, we have a pretty natural process so far. We haven't had any real clunker rehearsals, like nothing got done today. We've always gotten a lot done. Um, there's still songs that are just put together just because somebody played something and suddenly, oh, after 20 minutes, we have a whole nother song now. Um, so I'm real interested to see how much it could grow. And it seems like we're getting a positive feedback mm-hmm. so far from, uh, what we've put out publicly. I mean, what's, what's interesting is I, I couldn't tell you if this band's going to be around for five years, 10 years, or like another six months. 
because it, it's just it. I find this is such a casual sort of band experience where it's not like okay, you know, you do this and we record the album and we're gonna try to send it to the labels. Um, it's 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 very different from that. And I find realistically, since um, Joe and I are music teachers, that I mean, it's not like we necessarily would have the ability to drop everything and then go on tour unless it was a summer tour. So, unless it was really awesome. Unless, uh, well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to pay. <laughs> well, th- <laughs> thanks a lot for for teaching. You know, your trade because I think teaching is the most powerful thing in the world. Oh well, thank you. And you know, we all know creating music can be a painful road to success. But what's really important is that you commit and you focus and you put everything you have into doing something that you love. So even away from this band, you two are both solo musicians and mm-hmm. you're putting everything you have into that, whether it be teaching music or performing in this band, uh, even if it's just a side project. So, you know, to you in a short summary, what does music mean to you in your life? You know, how important is it? How important is air? Um, I... Whew. It's, you know, it's interesting because just growing up, I was a terrible, terrible, terrible student. Um, I'm sure there are some report cards that uh, I'm glad are now like out of my permanent record. Um, But if it weren't for music, and I started really getting into music around seventh grade, if it weren't for music, I think it would be interesting to see the path that I would have taken because I just would have had so much idle time because I certainly wasn't doing homework. Um. Where I think I think Joe was he was always a good kid. <laughs> um, all right. I don't. I, yeah, but I mean, bottom bottom line is, if uh, if it weren't for music, I, my life would be absolutely completely different. And uh, if you were to take music away from me now, it would, it would. I don't know. I'd, I'd just be. It would be an empty empty existence for me, at least. Yeah, for I think for me, music is such an ingrained part of who I am as a person. It's like if if I have a bad day at work or if I have a bad day doing normal, um, it's like, you know, it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm still a musician. I still have this whole world that other people can go through their entire lives and have no idea that it even exists. Um, so for me, it's really just a part of who I am. And if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be myself. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not even, you know, I diddle around on the guitar a little bit and I create music uh, with a couple guys and I do vocals on some stuff, but uh, I, I couldn't even live without music, to be honest, even just listening to it. I mean, it's such a huge part of my life and I think it's, it's almost like, you know, hearing in colors and uh, it's super powerful to me and everything I do, I've got it playing in the background. So uh, I was going to say, the one thing I do like about having the, um, the, the public school teacher job is I find that that actually gives me um, complete freedom to basically do whatever I want musically because all of a sudden financially it's like, you know, I've got a, I've got a good job and I've got benefits and I can get my teeth worked on. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not like, you know, I don't, if, if I want to play um, in a corporate cover band, I can play in a corporate cover band cause I think it's fun. And if I want to do this and I want to play to, you know, uh, a couple of people in a, in a coffee house, it's absolutely fine. And, you know, we're not necessarily thinking, Oh, let me let, let me let me write this next hit song because of, I need to eat, which is uh, which is good. But it really gives me I find it gives me the freedom to to do whatever I really want, musically speaking. And I, and I also think uh, keep, you know, keeping goals realistic is important. 
Um, you know, I've, I've been in bands where it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're going to have to reach, you know, such and such a level. It will be on this tour and that tour. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think keeping a reasonable outlook on, uh, on what you're looking to get out of it. And, you know, and if more comes from it, more comes from it. But again, it's, it's, it's sort of weird, the mentality, at least I have with this group than I did with other groups. We all go through times where, uh, you know, we make goals, but we don't necessarily achieve them. And I think it is a huge huge thing to make realistic goals and to kind of set one or two things specifically a day that you can work towards and then look back after a couple months and see the progress you made in the baby steps. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't turn out how we had envisioned. And I believe these are some of the most important times in our development because we never really talk about them for some reason because they're, they're failures. Uh, and everyone only likes to bring up successes, but if it wasn't for these particular failures, I don't think there would be very much success at the end of the tunnel for anything. And as musicians who are in the thick of trying to accomplish your dreams and chase your passions and just generally have fun with what you're doing and, and help spread the word and teach others your trade, you know, what kind of lessons have you learned from the past that have kind of helped you get to where you are today? Ooh, let's see. Uh, avoid playing pay-to-play shows um <laughs> in fact uh, we recently just contacted a booker and i was like oh, okay you know i heard you got like a like local opener show or you know something like that and uh it was like oh yeah you know you're gonna have to pre-sell 30 tickets at 12 dollars each um so you do the math and that's, <laughs> that's if i if i'm correct 360 dollars <laughs> um and it's funny it's like so i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna pay Someplace 300 club that's going to have, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 heads. Yeah. I mean, realistically, everyone will say that, oh, we're going to bring 30 people, but you know, no one ever does. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, definitely not not paying or not uh, playing pay to pay. It's even annoying to say. Um, shows, that would definitely be something where it's, you know, I would uh, – much rather deal with bookers that just are doing it on a, a smaller level or certainly a smaller club. Um, and then, you know, doing it that way is just better. But uh, also the atmosphere is much better rather than playing a place like the stone pony and having 30 people there. I'd much rather play someone's basement. Yeah. It's just a different energy. Um, so that's something I've learned. I think it's a huge problem in the industry today is that artists aren't getting compensated to what they're worth because being a musician is is definitely a unique, hardworking trade, and you really have to work and put in just as much effort as everybody else does with their jobs. And I think that with the way things have gone with technology, you know, you're really kind of getting a shaft as far as putting your content out there and then not really getting anything back. And mm -hmm. I was listening to uh, NPR yesterday, and Johnny Cash's daughter was on there, and she was talking about. Uh, that exact thing, and she's involved with some kind of lawsuit right now. But I mean, there was some country that that had played streamed one of her songs like six hundred thousand times, and she'd only received like a hundred and forty dollars from them. That's like that's the going rate on Spotify, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like well, Ben Midler had tweeted something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know x x amount of plays. And it was like I received like you know like a hundred you know hundred dollars or four hundred dollars. It was like for like a like multi million stream thing. Well, it's, it's kind of like what we're dealing with. 
kind of like back when recorded music first started being a popular thing. A lot of musicians were saying, why would I ever want to record my music? People won't come to my shows anymore, Mm. Um, which is still also an issue today. But that was a lot more major back when it first came out. So in a way, what we're dealing with nowadays is the value of music and what is that exactly? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be a better way for musicians to be compensated. And it's kind of a catch-22 because you obviously want your music out there and you want to spread it. But then from your perspective, you're not getting anything back for all the work that you're putting in. And it's not really that fair. Uh, so how, how do you feel in particular about the whole Spotify thing and these free streaming sites uh, where you're really not getting anything back that you deserve? Yeah, at the end of the day, somebody's clearly making money. And I realize they have overhead. Um, I mean, it's clearly not the artists. I forget what the what was the uh, our friend John Vines, who was in a band, the Creep Tones, or isn't still is in a band. Still, I think he's still. The, the, it's it's a current band. He's going to be angry. <laughs> um, but I think it was something. You know, they put their stuff on Spotify, and you know, got like a couple thousand streams, which for like a, you know uh, a, a new emerging band is is you know a nice number. Yeah. And uh, I think the royalty check was back for like two cents or something like that. Oh my gosh! So, yeah, they were they were they were pretty disappointed. Um, but it's it's weird how the industry is extremely top heavy to the payouts. Um, you know, and I'm not I'm not a, a a music business person, but it's just really 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 strange the amount of money that's being generated and then where it's it's going to. Well, I think the value in all of the internet and music is that you have to build your online presence with a fan base that is, you know, really trusts you and and buys into your brand. And there's a multiple ways to do that. But, you know, a big portion of that is being on iTunes and Spotify and all these different sites, because if you have a fan and they hear about you or they see you at a live show, they're going to go straight to the very platform that they choose and that they prefer mm-hmm. and they're going to search for you. And if they don't find you on one of those, then you've basically lost that fan. But if they do find you and they can stream the music and they get to know it even more, then you get them over to your website, you get their email address, they bought into you and you have a chance of selling them merchandise and selling them more concert tickets in the future. So it's 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 really a horrible kind of situation to be entangled in because yeah you know you want to be out on these platforms for that particular reason but at the same time the bridge to get there is is kind of like a kick in the stomach you know you're not getting anything back for a long time and it takes a a long time to build that brand up yeah it's a it's a really strange double-edged short that a double-edged sword (laughs) it's early i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i mean i had a, a guest on earlier this year booty voked and he's kind of a pioneer of figuring all of this out. And he has a music label that he started, and he's only in his early 20s, uh, out in Holland called Heroic. And he wrote the SoundCloud Bible, and it's all about how to build your brand on SoundCloud. And it's very, very good, amazing, powerful information. And he writes a blog and everything. Uh, so you all could check that out, and I suggest all the listeners to check that out as well. Uh, but he talks about several different ways to to make this money and to build your online presence, and I, I think it's very very powerful. Uh, uh, what, well, what you can do independently, you know. Well, that I mean, that is the one thing where all of a sudden the you know if you look at the you know the the sixties, um, what you would have been really re- you know how you would have been required to sort of you know make a band 
Uh, I mean, even to to cut a demo mm-hmm. um, was so difficult. However, I guess the opposite side of that is if you were the band in town that was able to cut a demo, all of a sudden you know you're like the top band as opposed to now. I mean, everyone kind of just oh yeah, the stuff. technology now. Anybody can record a demo. Anybody can reach a fan base. It doesn't mean that they know the right way how. Yeah, yeah. it's also uh, flooded. It, yeah, I would absolutely agree with it yeah. being, being flooded, which I guess is, you know, I mean, I always said that, you know, sort of victory goes to the, the innovators um, and the, the imitators get trampled. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because then you'll have people that argue, be like, well, no, you know, people, you know, in this, in this sort of sound uh, will get popular. But at the end of the day, I mean, um, I mean even if you look at a, a group like Guns N' Roses, um, which obviously, you know, a very popular group, but you know, Slash's dad, if I'm not mistaken, had a lot of, you know, Hollywood contacts, and I think he was, you know, it, it, so at the end of the day, yeah, uh, I mean, it it helps to know somebody, no matter how talented you are. Yeah, and back back then, in you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s, that's all they had before the internet was basically peer to peer networking. Step out of your comfort zone get into some of these clubs, just play, talk to people, give out your demos everywhere, and that's how you yeah. got in. I had a guest on uh, a couple days ago, Rick Kassman, and he's actually getting his band back together called The Straight Eight, uh, and he's in London. But he had an amazing story, and he was just working in a record shop uh, when he was younger, and he was growing up, like literally his friends were like Sid Vicious, and the- these kids when they were like 15, 16 years old, like his mm-hmm. good friends. And he was in a record shop, and uh, he just met this guy there, and he found out that the guy was a producer, so he handed him a tape demo, and he just happened to be uh, from Pete Townsend's label. Mm. So he took it back to Pete Townsend, and Pete listened to it, went and checked him out live, and and then they cut a deal with him. And you know, it was all because he reached out and said, hey, what do you do? Here's my tape. Mm. But now it's more geared towards... Uh, you can go that route if you want, but really, labels and other tastemakers, they want social proof before they sign and invest in artists. Absolutely. So if you're not doing anything yourself, you have got to get social media momentum going. You've got to get reviews. You've got to get press. You've got to do everything you can before you can talk to any of those big boys. Would prefer an already finished product, which is less work for them. Yeah, well, that's always yeah. the. Yeah, I mean, you can you can certainly uh, a group that's already got a following and everything like that. It's a, it's a much safer bet that you're not going to uh, lose a lot of money, and you don't you don't need to do nearly the amount of promotion. Yeah, um, because it's already being done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- and there's just so much content coming out that it's essentially that you have to really be releasing music regularly. Um, and I know Booty Voked out there, he was, they're into like the dance music in Holland, but he was talking about releasing a, tr- a track. It's necessary that you release a track twice a month mm. and promote the hell out of it to blogs, to press, to tastemakers, radio, uh, hire a plugger, all of that stuff. And it, it's kind of crazy how far you have to go to do it nowadays, as opposed to back then where there were all these amazing bands, but really... You know, the people that had the physical network were the only ones that were making it, even though mm. the guy next door might have been a better talent. And it's the same thing now, just on the internet. Yeah, that is the one interesting thing, when even um, as a guitarist, or I guess obviously, well, bass player in this group, but as a guitarist, <clears throat> where you always wonder if, if the, like, for instance, even, you know, rock guitar, if the bar 
is just that much higher now because of um, you know players just being that much faster and more and more technical, or if it's just well now you're starting to see every amateur guitarist that's just fantastic on on YouTube, um, you know, because all of a sudden you can just put you know awesome you know ten year old kid shreds, and you're probably going to get something where it's you know would have blown people's minds. Um, you know, in the, you know, early 80s, late 70s, and be like, wow, I, you know, I can't believe how technical this person is. But you wonder if it's just more of an issue of uh, people just now being able to to discover it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Or, or if it's just an increase in um, in overall talent. Of course, with stuff, something like YouTube, you now have kids who can just sit down and um, learn so much more efficiently than just sort of figuring it out in their, you know, parents' basement. Yeah, the power of the internet is beautiful. Uh, and there are some great, great, uh, resources out there. I mean, YouTube, I learn that's, that's what I use. I, I follow one particular guy in general and he's just the perfect style teacher for me. And if you, if everyone looks, they can find it. So it's pretty crazy, but yeah, I think the the power of being able to discover is a huge part of that. You're right. Yeah. And I think we're really moving into a, an interesting time of, and I feel that's that started maybe with sort of my generation, you know, and I'm 30, where you really get an interesting level of um, diversity in, in in musical tastes, where you know you have ten different subgenres of music they like, but could name ten albums that they like. <laughs> um, they're they're rocking the playlist, man. Exactly. I like I like the following playlist, but you know, couldn't name an album. Um, you know, and I always describe this where you know if you had, um, you know, let, let's say you know the jazz genre for for instance. If you had uh, someone who said, "Oh, I've got this this rare Joe Pass, you know, uh, live uh, video from 1970s, and you know this and that," you know, he would have to be some mega fan to have like a VHS tape of it or even a DVD. Um, YouTube because somebody uploaded it. Because someone uploaded it. So all of a sudden you have access to that. But meanwhile, you have people that couldn't name an album that he recorded. You know, it's it's interesting how everything sort of flip-flop with the uh, the media. Yeah. Um, Down with the media, man. Well. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We're running uh, pretty heavy on the time here, so I need to get into kind of the closing questions. Sure. Uh, If you could spend... uh, a few hours or a little bit of time creating something with anybody from the past or present, who do you all think it would be and, and what would you create? And you could do this together or individually. I would, uh, probably Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock, but I would like it to be a free form jam. Um, <laughs> that would be, that would be my answer. If I, if I had like one hour of, of my choosing, it would be, uh, just playing with Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock. Um, for me, it would probably just be uh, one of the great improvisers, um, Sonny Rollins. He's still around. Um, guys like Dexter Gordon, Miles Davis, Art Blakey, Art Tatum, um, any of those guys just getting to play with them for an hour. I, yeah. I would get so much from that. Man, Miles Davis, that guy. Wow. His. Uh, <laughs> have, have you read his autobiography yes yeah. it is one of the most entertaining things i've ever read uh, but highly highly recommend type. that apparently yeah. there was a high school teacher that made that like required reading for a that that is not yeah. a high school level I know, not at <laughs> no. all um 
And I guess he didn't read it. He's like, oh, this will be, oh, this will be good for the kids. And then, you know, the, the amount of, you know, F-bombs that are dropped in that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, welcome, welcome to the real world, kids. Uh, yeah, so, and also Jimi Hendrix, uh, Rick Kassman, that I was talking about earlier with the straight eight, uh, he was actually at that Royal Albert Hall show. Uh, mm. And he, he said that there was just nothing like him. Yeah, I mean, no he was, words yeah, can explain it. <laughs> how, how talented Vader, monster is. tone, um, you know, and just I, you know, and just a true artist, you know, and not even just in the guitar genre, but just you know, artists in general. Yeah. All right, so dun dun dun. If you had to battle Godzilla. How would you use your creativity or talents to defeat that big old bastard? <laughs> oh man, let's see. I think we just tell George to do it. Yeah, that's we probably would. <laughs> we probably would outsource it to one of the other two members of the group. Um, <laughs> They're not here, so it's yeah, okay. that, that's uh, so it would be Sean just doing a bunch of death metal blast beats. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't think Godzilla would like Altice. That that that, that the screeching notes. That very ornate Coleman uh, Altissimo yeah. playing that, that that Joe will do. <laughs> um, and I probably would supervise. <laughs> <laughs> Sit back and make sure it all went accordingly. Uh, well, it might not actually go accordingly, but I would supervise. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Uh, do you all have any favorite advice? resources or tools that that you use on a regular basis you know apps or anything geared towards the music industry that are helpful uh that you would think that our listeners could find some value in uh for jazz players or really any players uh the the iReal book although i guess they changed that to the iReal b for copyright issues yeah. Um, is I think a, a fantastic app where all of a sudden you have all these these backing tracks of all these jazz standards and of course now the way the website works I guess it's uh, a bunch of uh, you know really really any different genre so all of a sudden it's you get all these backing tracks that you're able to play through so definitely the iReal book or iReal B as I think it's called now that would be that would be one that I'd recommend. Very cool. Uh, a tuner and a metronome. Tuner and a metronome. And a, and Not a, enough people use it. Tu- tuner, metronome, tape recorder. That's really, that's really all you need. Yep. I like it. Simple. All right, so how can our listeners find you all or get in contact with you? What's the best way? Hmm. I guess, uh, well, me personally, I do have my own website, which is johndemko.com. Um, yeah, and I, I have a website. It's joestraz.com. Group goes our main outlets right now are the Facebook page, uh, which would be facebook.com slash world's heaviest jam band, and uh, also the YouTube channel, which you could search world's heaviest jam band and we pop right up. Yeah, very cool. And I was jamming out some of that earlier. I think the track was My Governor H. Your Governor. Is that correct? Can eat your governor. My governor which, can eat we're, your we're, governor. Yeah, we're in New Jersey, so uh, <laughs> that would be about Chris Christie, who I guess is now a national figure. Yeah, no, he definitely is. <laughs> because being in New Jersey, like we don't necessarily appreciate like if he's a national figure or not. But, yeah, uh, yeah, he's that, that could have been a whole other hour. Well, I highly <laughs> suggest everyone get on YouTube and check that out. I will also post a couple of their videos in the show notes that you can check out. Uh, they have a couple jam sessions, very innovative, 
Uh, and it's some good stuff. And oh, I you. mean, you all need to make it down here towards Kentucky. Uh, <laughs> you know, prepay for one of those shows. You know, sell sell some tickets <laughs> for fifteen bucks. They'll, they'll get well, you good we'll, down yeah, here. Sell, yeah, we'll sell thirty tickets. Make I don't know ten bucks. <laughs> um, and then oh man, pre, pre, prepaying. But uh, yeah, no, thank you for uh, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. You all are awesome, and keep keep on the train to make a difference in the world and, and create your own style. And I wish you all both the most success in the world. And everybody, thank you so much. Everybody, check them out because they seriously do have their own style and, and they are awesome. So, John and Joe, thank you so much for being the Archerpreneurs now. And always remember, guys, keep it heady. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Archerpreneur Now podcast. For all the show notes and more information, please visit artsynow.com. That's A-R-T-S-Y now.com. Thank you. The music for this podcast was provided by Shaky Feeling out of Ventura, California. For more information, please visit shakyfeeling.com. Keep it funky.